Hey guys, this episode is brought to you by Spartan Nutrition. We're giving away a Spartan Nutrition kit this Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Time. Text the word SPARTAN to the number 22454. That's SPARTAN, S-P-A-R-T-A-N, to the number 22454. The other parallel between private equity and college coaching is on the fundraising piece. Like, you know, okay, like, what is your vision for the program? Like, is, is the trajectory looking promising? Like, can we look at historical, like, trends and see, like, oh, you guys are on the up and up. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. This is Ryan, your host. My guest today is Mike McMullen, four-time All-American for the Northwestern Cats. He went to high school at Wyoming Sim, one of the elite programs now but it wasn't back then and now Mike works in private equity and in this episode we talk about his background some of the parallels between private equity and college coaching and I really enjoyed the hell out of this conversation Mike is a smart cat and I think you'll see that through this interview fan of the week goes to my man Jared Opfer that's J-A-R-E-D O-P-F-E-R on the gram look him up give him some love Jared we appreciate it my friend folks this week we are giving away a Spartan Nutrition Kit. Text the word SPARTAN to the number 22454. Literally text the word SPARTAN, S-P-A-R-T-A-N, to the number 22454, and we'll automatically enter you into the raffle. We're going to be drawing this Sunday at 5 p.m. Central Standard Time. Again, we're giving away a Spartan Nutrition Kit consisting of tea, energy pills, and hydration tablets for free. To enter, text the word SPARTAN to 22454. That's it, folks. Let's give it up for the great Mike McMullen. Peace. Now you got the Northwestern shirt on. I know that's your that's your alma mater. Let's start at the the origin story for you. How where'd you grow up, and what was your experience like as a kid? Yeah, so um, so I'm from outside of Philadelphia, about an hour north. Well, I guess I don't have to explain it like that in the wrestling community. <laughs> I do it in the, in the business world, but I'm from the Lehigh Valley. So, um, you know, I grew up in a, in a pretty intense um, athletic environment, um, with, especially with regards to wrestling. Obviously, a lot of talent has flown out of that uh, pocket of Pennsylvania. Um, you know, we didn't really have a ton of experience on the wrestling circuit or knowledge before, you know, 
myself and my brothers started competing at a very young age. Our, my dad didn't wrestle growing up, um, but we just happened to live in that area and we were looking for winter sports and that was something people seemed to be doing. So um, we signed up, I think, you know, five or six years old and just, it was definitely not, um, you know, not like a laid back, like, oh, we're just going to be kids and, you know, play this sport. It was, oh, like these people are really serious about it. They're really good at it. Um, and, you know, we're competitive folks. So we try to re rise to the occasion and um, make the most of our situation. So um, I alluded to some brothers. I come from a really big family, got seven brothers and sisters. Um, so growing up, it, it was, uh, you know, a lot of sports, a lot of activities, staying busy. And we all were, you know, always engaged with, you know, either wrestling or football, track and field, lacrosse. We just kind of, you know, we're doing everything. My mom did a really good job of keeping us, keeping us busy. <laughs> um, Cause it's hard to, uh, it's, it's gotta be hard to entertain, um, you know, th that many bodies. So, um, what'd so, your yeah, pops I, do? What's that? What'd your pops do? Uh, for like, for a living? Yeah. 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 You said your mom was driving you guys around. So was he like a <laughs> businessman help like working all the time? Yeah. Or? So my dad has worked, um, in Northern New Jersey, just uh, in Patterson. And he's worked for a utilities company, um, for probably 30 years. Um, he, him and my mom met and grew up in Northern New Jersey. So, um, we were originally, I was born in Northern New Jersey, but we moved to the Lehigh Valley probably when I was five or six years old. Um, so he was commuting, um, you know, from Pennsylvania to Northern New Jersey, which, you know, it's not incredibly far, but if you're doing a 90 minute drive there and back, you know, every day for years on end, like that, that's got to wear on you. So, um, but it was a good opportunity for him. He recognized, you know, what he had to do um, for our family to enable us as kids to have opportunities to, uh, you know, to try to succeed in whatever it was we were pursuing. So he kind of like, you know, put the team on his back in that regard. And then my mom um, worked as a nurse for a while um, before she had kids. And, you know, at the onset, when you have, you know, five, six, seven, um, we, we ended with eight, but at the early, in the early years, she, um, you know, that's a full-time job. So she was at home with us, um, which was awesome. Cause you know, I don't, I recognize that it's a very like special situation that not a lot of people get. So right. to have like that, you know, level of attention and, um, consistent guidance in your life is, is pretty spectacular. But now she has since kind of gone back into that nursing profession now that we're all, you know, older and kind of on our way and uh, doing our own thing. So that's kind of like my background, background on my, on my folks. And Mike, I got to tell you, man, I know you were a four-time All-American at heavyweight. I don't see how you wrestled heavyweight. What do you weigh right now? Like 160, 150? I don't understand it. I'm yeah, still, like, so am I, I, did I research the wrong person? <laughs> I, tell me it's the same guy, man. Yeah. So I'm i uh, I'm that guy for sure. Um, you know, I was always like a bigger person growing up um, relative to kids my age, but I was never heavyweight, really. Like I didn't wrestle heavyweight until my junior year of high school. 
Um, and what happened was I was, like I said, I was, I was on the bigger end, like, you know, I was like 171, 189 size, my freshman, sophomore year of mm-hmm. high school. Um, my sophomore year, I got hurt. I had shoulder surgery and I, I put on a lot of size for a lot of reasons. One, cause I was probably just depressed from shoulder surgery and just eating a ton of food. The second was, um, you know, I played football as well. And that was a route that I was pretty interested in pursuing. Um, for college, quite honestly. And, you know, football is a sport where, you know, numbers, speed, size, you know, height, all that kind of stuff, like really sort of dictates, you know, the the types of looks and opportunities you're going to get from a college perspective. So I was super focused on like getting big for football. Um, In my junior year, I was, you know, I was in like the 215, 220 range. Um, You know, the situation was, from a wrestling perspective, my, my older brother who wrestled at Bucknell, um, he was, he was a year ahead of me in school and he was a senior and he had wrestled 215, you know, since freshman year. So that was like his, and he was doing really well. So like, that was his weight class essentially. And it's like, I'm not going to like wrestle Joe off for 215, like just because <laughs> I'm 220 and I don't really want to lose weight to wrestle 189. Cause I did that last year and I got hurt so why don't I like, why don't I try heavyweight? Like it had never, it was really kind of like a snap decision. It was like, this kind of is the situation. And like, I guess I'll do that. I never really posited myself as like a fat dude who doesn't know how to shoot, but like, I guess I'm going to be in that category this year. And I remember my first um, tournament at heavyweight, I was wrestling at the Beast of the East in, uh, in Newark, Delaware. <laughs> and I took his shot and the guy like didn't move. Like he didn't sprawl. He didn't <laughs> like, he just kind of stood there and probably was like, what the hell just happened? Um, and I just picked his leg up and he fell up. Like, as I was picking his leg up, he was starting to fall over. I didn't even have to like think about finishing. And I was like, wow, okay, this is like, this could be something. Like, I kinda, like <laughs> This is a good route. Um, I ended up like doing decently well that year at the Beast of the East. Um, ended up going through that year um, and winning the prep national tournament. Um, and that like, you know, I was always good, but I wasn't like number one in the country until, um, or like getting like, you know, a lot of really good looks until after I won prep nationals my junior year at, at the heavyweight. So that was like, wow, okay, like I, that was like kind of easy. And I wasn't really, I was a three sport athlete. So I was, I wasn't like fully focused on wrestling at the time. It's like, wow, like if I really focus and if I really, you know, put everything into this, like I could probably be pretty good in this weight class. And that was kind of like the sort of catalyst and shift in mentality to like, I'm going to like, I'm going to be really good in this weight class. And how did your actions change after that? Or how did your routine change after that turning point? Yeah, so I think it's a good question. So for me, it was always, um, I, I played three sports, like I said. So I was always like, wrestling is November to March. And mm-hmm. like, it's a hard sport, super hard, and for a variety of reasons. And once I hit March, like, I'm done. Like, I'm unplugging. Um, I don't have to think about it until next November because um, I want to play lacrosse and that's fun. Or I want to, you know, think about football. It's outside, like all that kind of stuff. 
So it, my mentality really shifted to that when I recognized like I was going to wrestle in college and like, that's what I was going to do. Um, so after I made that decision um, in October of my senior year of high school, that was like, okay, now I'm a wrestler. Like, that's my vision. Like, that's my path indefinitely. Like, that's where my focus is going to be towards. And that's where I'm going to put my energy and efforts. I love hearing about those turning point moments. And, you know, if you're ready for them, it, you know, and you have the vision, it can really be something that changes your life. And obviously, sounds like that was the case for you. Before we go on to college, you know, tell me about um, Wyoming Seminary, because I, I don't know a ton about that school. And when I was coming up, Blair was really the powerhouse. And of course, they still are. But um, what's the culture like there? And how, why are they so successful still? And was that yeah. the case when you were there? That's a great question. It's something I really enjoy talking about. Um, so I was in the same boat as you. I don't know how or when you, like how old you are and when you were growing I'm up. 31. But, I'm 31. I'm okay, 31. Cool. So I'm 28. Um, and I, you know, growing up in that area, um, yeah, Blair was the incumbent. Like they were the gold standard. And from our perspective as a family and just being in the community of wrestling, it was always, if you go to Blair, like you are, you're on the best team. So you're gonna get the best exposure. It's a private school. So it probably has strong academics and you're gonna have that coupling of really important criteria that help propel you to that next level. If you want to be, you know, a high achieving student athlete at the college level. So that was always like kind of what we were driving towards. Like, we all wanted to go to Blair because if you're, if you're the guy at Blair, your opportunities, we had seen the proof points over and over again, like your opportunities are, are great. So we were really driving towards that. And growing up, you know, Blairstown was an hour drive from my house in Easton. Like we would go into the room and go to practices and, you know, I knew coach Buxton pretty well and our family like would go there once or twice a week. And um, that's where we wanted to be because that that was better than I mean Easton was great or that area was great but we had high aspirations from an athletic and academic perspective and we thought that that was going to be the best environment um challenge is like you know there's only so many spots at Blair and there's only so much that a financial aid department can do if even if you get accepted like you know can you even afford to to go there and that was sort of like the crossroads we hit um, as a family, just given, you know, it is, I have a large family, like, you know, we're, we're modest from our, like from a socioeconomic perspective. And we just didn't want to set that, didn't have the ability to set that precedent of, you know, Hey, we'll, we'll spend 20 K per, per kid, like to go to private school. Like we just couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. um, so it's kind of challenging because, that was just like a reality that we hit at that point in time. Um, the interesting thing about SEM was, you know, I didn't know anything about it. Nobody knew anything about it. I had never been to Northeastern Pennsylvania. I didn't, didn't get it. Um, they were pretty much nothing <laughs> before we got there. And I don't want to say that it's like a causality of, Oh, we got there and then they got good. Um, they had been like kind of, slowly improving but they weren't i mean the stat like they were like a top 30 national preps team which mm -hmm. 
I don't know how much you know about national preps, like that's not really great and not really noteworthy. But they were making some steady improvement and the real, the real catalyst to kind of make a concerted effort to build a program was this guy named John Gordon, who, um, who was the Dean of Wyoming Seminary and um, he was the head wrestling coach. And his son, Nikki, um, was someone who we, their family was a family we met through kind of like the youth circuit and the club circuit growing up. Um, his son, Nikki, was about to be a freshman. And he was super adamant on, hey, like, you know, my son's, son's a good wrestler. We have like two other really good wrestlers from the area on our team right now. Um, but we need more and we want more. And we have aspirations and a vision to go to the best tournaments, compete at the best tournaments, and, you know, give you the same exposure and opportunity that you would want to get at Blair Academy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, like, from a cost perspective, it was just much more reasonable and, and affordable for our family. Do you so live there was, like you do at Blair, too? It is a boarding school, yep. Oh, wow. So it's essentially, like, the Pennsylvania version of Blair, um, that like nobody had just made a concerted effort to like build up as an athletic program. Got like, it. Literally the same thing. It's kind of crazy. Um, yeah. And basically, so I went up there, my, my older brother and myself went up there the same year. He was a freshman and I went up there as an eighth grader. Leaving the roost as an eighth grader. <laughs> no way. Yeah. So how far I, away, how far away is it? Just for point of reference. Like an hour and a half. Okay. So I lived, um, mm. talked about John Gordon, the head wrestling coach and Dean. I lived with his family for an entire year because I couldn't live in the dorms um, with the upper school students because I was only in eighth grade. Mama, Mama McMillan, <laughs> if I'm pronouncing your last name properly, man, that, that must have been a tough day to, to see both of the, you know, a couple of the sons go away. So you get up there, I mean – what I, I can never understand how challenging that must be to break away uh, at such a young age. But a lot of times people say it's fun. It's like going to camp all the time. What was your experience in battling the, the loneliness and things like that? Yeah. So I think boarding school is, it's a very unique experience and it's like very case by case with regards to like how it goes for the folks who go through it. Um, I fell into the camp of, it was great for me. And um, it really like helped accelerate a lot of important qualities in my life. Um, like I really developed my personality um, from an academic perspective. I really got to develop kind of, you know, how I, how I approached school, how I thought about school, what I was interested in. Um, and it just gave me like, you know, more autonomy at a young age and like helped me kind of, assume the responsibility that I knew I was going to have to have to be like a successful adult. So like, it kind of like put me in that scenario way earlier. Um, and because of that, by the time I got to college, like I just felt much more calm, p- prepared. And um, I was just like, Oh, I've already done this. Like <laughs> I've already done the whole, you know, not at home living in the dorm situation. So I, that really didn't like, you know, shake me or really phase me so I can really focus on sport and school, which, you know, was ultimately why I, why I went there. Well, and especially the academic transition to Northwestern, uh, most of the time is very steep for students. 
Um, what was it like for you coming from an elite boarding school on the East Coast? Yeah, so I think because of that, you know, I was at SEM, we had, um, you know, every night in the dorms, you had like a three hour mandatory study hall where you had to have your doors open, where people were like walking around, checking on you. Um, so I kind of just built that reflex of, hey, like I have to carve out time every night that's allocated towards studying. And also being at the boarding school, you know, a lot of the teachers that you're going to class with or learning from live on campus. Mm -hmm. So you've got like that level of access where and sort of normalized like, oh, if I have a question, like, or I don't get something, I can just go talk to my teacher outside of class and like, we'll figure it out. So I think like those are really two critical elements that uh, predicate success, like at the college level. It's like, how much are you willing to go seek out help and guidance from your professors, you know, capitalize on office hours, that sort of stuff. And like from a time management perspective, like, like how do you structure your days? Do your days even have structure? And like, are you, you know, setting yourself up to like be prepared to, you know, make the most of, you know, the assignments and quizzes and tests that you're going to have to take. See, that's an amazing thing because I didn't even realize like, daily structure until I started listening to Tim Ferriss when I was like 26. And I'm like, oh crap, every, every <laughs> successful person has it down to like a T. And, you know, I've, 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 I have that now, but I mean, you had that at a, at a much younger age. Um, how were the wrestling practices carved up back then? Was it your typical three o'clock and then you'd get out and go study or was it unique because you guys all lived there? So it was a little unique um, because we would have like a 3.30, 3.30 to six was kind of like the, the pocket. And then we had as part of the dorming experience, every, um, usually every night during the week, you had mm -hmm. um, family style dinner which I think is awesome. Basically, you had to go to the dining hall and you were assigned to a table of eight. Okay. Where there were two faculty members who lived on campus and then six students who lived on campus. And those tables rotated every two weeks. So you got new faculty members, new students on campus. And it was literally just a round table, you know, meal where you were like getting to know people. And you went from practice to that once you wrapped that and you had to like, you know, you had to wear, you know, a collared shirt and khakis and stuff to that, to those events. Um, then once you wrapped that, then you went back to the dorm and then you started your study period. All business, man. Exactly. How, how did you end up in Chicago for school? Yeah. So for me, um, I had a lot of opportunity for college, um, growing up in the East coast, like, I always assumed that the Ivy League was sort of like the pinnacle of the student athlete experience. And like, that's what I was always striving for. Mm. Um, I mentioned that I played football, lacrosse and wrestling. Um, and I originally was recruited for football and that was sort of what I thought I wanted to do. And I had gotten an offer um, and gotten accepted to Harvard for football. And I initially verbally committed to go to Harvard and play football. And I was sort of shut down the wrestling recruiting. Um, and, I, and I made that decision in like July before my senior year. And the more I, you know, some time passed and the more I sort of thought about it and like why I made that decision, 
like really what it boiled down to was, and this is like not a knock against the university by any means, but the only reason I wanted to go there is because it was named Harvard. Like mm -hmm. if you, if you wasn't called Harvard, like I didn't really like anything else about it at that time. And that okay. was 2007 or eight. Got, got it. Or, or nine. Sorry. Um, yeah. And like, that was like, that was a tough conversation to have with yourself. Cause it's like, you like you're competitive you work really hard and like that's like everybody wants that like guidance counselors want that family want that you know you tell your aunts uncles whoever like hey i don't think i want to go to that one they're like are you out of your mind like what is wrong with you like that's literally a gold ticket to the world like why would you ever turn that down and it just didn't feel right especially after you commit because you you don't seem like a guy who makes decisions hastily you seem like a very rational guy you're really thinking it through and we'll get to what you do now with some of the yeah uh, the private equity stuff uh, and why i say that but i mean for you to make a decision and go back on it um talk about the conversations you had with yourself throughout that process i think it was just like i was just trying to be really honest with myself and it's it's hard because you have all these external pressures and voices that are saying oh like why are you even still thinking about other options? Like you got Harvard, like just do that. That's the right choice. And it obviously has been the right choice for a lot of people. And there's nothing like, it is still a great institution, but it, at that point in my life and what I wanted out of my experience, it just wasn't the right choice for me. And I just got to that point after several weeks of kind of sitting on the reality of me going there. And I, it, I just had to be honest with myself. And that was challenging because you have so many people who, um, who want that for you and think that that's the right choice. But I just knew that it wasn't the right choice for me. So I had a conversation with my mom um, when I got to that point. And she, was, she also saw that and felt that. And just for her to kind of have that alignment and thought with me in that moment, really gave me the confidence that I was doing the right thing and gave me the courage to sort of open things back up and pursue other options. Um, so when I did that, I thought about what I really wanted. Okay, I wanted like, I wanted a really competitive athletic experience. Like I'm a competitive guy and Harvard, you know, Ivy League football is great, but there's no playoffs. You don't play for a national championship. Like you're one of a hundred people. Like. I felt like I had a lot to offer from a competitive standpoint and I wanted to put myself in that the best situation possible to maximize my full potential. So I knew that that was something that was really important to me. But I also knew that I didn't want to sacrifice academic pedigree in the process. So I thought about like, okay, Ivy league is maybe not what I want right now. Like what are the other combinations of those factors that exist in the world, in the wrestling world? And it really boiled down from my perspective to Northwestern and Stanford. Yep. And those are like the two programs that I reached out to their coaches <laughs> and sent them an email and said, Hey, like I am interested. Um, if you are recruiting, like would love to talk and like see if there's a good mutual fit and to Northwestern's credit, like they reached, they responded immediately. They got me on a plane very quickly um, and I visited like a week later. And how did you go from football back to wrestling though at that point? So I think, I think it was kind of what I was speaking to you about 
my individual goals. Mm -hmm. Like I knew I was good at wrestling. I knew I could be really good at wrestling. Wrestling's really hard and it's not fun and football's more fun and not as hard. So I, that's why I really, at that point in my life, I was like, Oh, I'm just going to do that. Cause I can still get a pretty good education doing that. But there's something, there's a voice in the back of my head that was just like, dude, you like, you've got something here. Like you shouldn't just, I know it's going to suck and like, it's not going to be fun, but like you could be really good at it. And like you owe it to yourself to test yourself and see if that's true. And that was challenging as well um, to willing, knowingly like put yourself in the harder path and the harder route. Um, but I knew I was going to be better from it. Um, if I ultimately opted for that experience. Um, so yeah, I came out here. I'd never been on a plane really. I'd never been in a different time zone. Um, so it was all very new and I, and I kind of wanted that. I wanted like an opportunity to really create an identity for myself in a, in a new area, you know, with no preconceived notions of who I am and just let my competency and ability kind of take over and dictate how I was going to, how I was going to be seen. So that's like what really drove my desire to go somewhere, not close to my house. Mm -hmm. Man, that's, it's amazing because you know, you went on to be four-time All-American at heavyweight, and you are the number one wrestler in the country at your weight class as a senior. So I guess that as you get to the upper weights, it's not as big of a surprise to see guys deciding between football and wrestling. But just to think that, you know, if you, you know, one way could have gone Harvard and football, and the other way, you're wrestling in the Big Ten, you know, you're you know, All-American every year. It's just incredible how, how different life can be just based on small choices. It's, yeah, I talk about that with my girlfriend all the time. It's like, I don't know what kind of person I'd be if I went a different route. And I'm just real, I'm really happy that the route I took was the, was the one that, you know, the Northwestern one, because I've, well, at the end of the day, like I've gotten to where I think I wanted to get to anyway. So like it all has kind of worked out. Yeah. Now I'm embarrassed. I don't know this. Who was the head coach at Northwestern when you were there? So when I got recruited there, it was Tim Szeski, who mm -hmm. had been there for like 20 years. Um, and then after I committed, there was um, the associate head coach at the time was Drew Pariano. And then there was a there was an announcement like maybe a month or two after I committed that Tim and Drew were going to like essentially flip. Um, so I, like because of that, like it didn't really matter. Like it's still continuity and leadership, like still the same people in the room. Um, so he was, he was the coach for my five years when I went through college, um, as was, um, the current head coach, Matt Storniolo was the assistant, um, one of the assistants when I was going through as well. Got it. Now they, I mean, for a while there, a couple of years, uh, even recently, they've been, you know, battling with Illinois to be the number one team in the state and, and Northwestern's a great program. And. Obviously, the Midlands is something my parents took me to. My mom really took me to ever since I was a young kid. So, um, you know, have fond memories of that gym, and I'm sure you do as well. I do want to hit on before we get to your current situation, the time you spent at PA, um, University of Pennsylvania. That is, mm -hmm. what sticks out to you there? Is any big learnings or any big 
I don't want to say life lessons, but things you took away from that experience? It's a great question. Um, a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, um, you know, we, Northwestern was great. Like I obviously had a great experience. Um, I'm very close with, you know, a lot of people in the athletic department, um, a very great relationship with Matt Storniolo today. I know a lot of guys on the team today, like I'm involved in like mentorship programs with the university, like love Northwestern. I have the shirt on, like huge purple fan. Um, I finished college and I recognized that I wanted to be in a situation where I could continue educate my education, but also kind of stay involved with the sport of wrestling. Mm-hmm. And I wanted kind of at that point in my life, I was like, I, I kind of want to get, you know, from a master's perspective, like I would like to go to the Ivy league because, you know, being from the East coast and like I considered it early on, like I felt, you know, that, that would be a, just a good kind of um, compare, like compare situations and um, understand kind of, it would just help me kind of continue along my path and what my goals were. So there was a really great opportunity that popped up. Um, Penn was looking for an assistant coach and I had gotten accepted into um, one of their graduate programs as well. Um, I, you know, love Philadelphia from Pennsylvania. So it was just like a really sweet situation um, that I, that I fell into. And, you know, as like a 23 year old, you get like an assistant coach job. Right. And like, you've seen like other assistant coaches and you're like, Oh, I'm just going to like, I'm just going to wrestle kids. Like I'm going to go to school and I'm just going to wrestle kids and practice. And like, that's kind of cool. Like I'll just work out. Like I'll teach them something in the room. Uh, and it'll be great. Um, well, I didn't realize like how much goes into being a college coach. And in particular, like if you want to be a good college coach, like your ability to develop talent in the room, is obviously really important, but the two most critical factors that predicate success um, for a college wrestling program from a coaching perspective is your ability to fundraise and your ability to recruit talent. Um, it's much easier to have a kid who, you know, is an eight out of 10 and turn him into a nine out of 10 versus a four out of 10 into a nine out of 10, right? So it's like, if you can attack that on the on- at the outset and, you know, get the right kids from talent, from a personality, from a culture perspective, um, it's just going to help accelerate the trajectory of your program. And um, I didn't realize that as an athlete, like I was just focused on myself. And so you weren't um, a GA, you're a coach. I was a coach. I was an assistant coach. And that's, that's tough. I mean, to your point, I don't think people realize how much coaches work, you know, just the constant calling of recruits traveling. I mean, what was a day in the life like during this experience? So the other thing too that was a was a really important lesson for me to learn in this experience was hey like i'm four-time all-american like i'm one of the best people to never win the ncaa tournament like i shot at heavyweight and that's cool like having that just like carrying that with me and going into a conversation with a recruit and their family like that isn't enough to like get somebody on your side. Like that's not enough to sell your program. Just like being a person, like that's, that's good. Like that gets people interested and engaged, but that's not what's going to like ultimately sell somebody on the quality of what you're providing as a, as a program. And that was like 
the number one takeaway from my experience from coaching. Like I can't just show up, have people look at me and be like, Oh, that guy's impressive. Like we're going to go to school there. Like it doesn't work that way. You have to be able to communicate effectively. You have to be a really good listener. You have to like understand like what people care about. Um, you have to like be able to show empathy and like connect with people on a human level. And these, those are all things that I have in me, but I just didn't, I never tapped into them because I was so focused on my own personal development, my own personal goals. Like it was very, very much like, like blinders on, like mm-hmm. let's get Mike to the top. So like I recognized that and was like, Oh shit. Like I'm, we're losing recruiting battles to Princeton and Harvard and Stanford and whatever. Like, but like they don't have as good like accolade coaches as like we do. Like what the hell? So it's like, okay, well I have to like, I gotta do more. Like I gotta call people more. I gotta have conversations. I gotta like communicate. And it really like evoked that out of me, which enabled me to be a better suited like professional candidate for future job opportunities and just gave me a better sense of kind of how the world works, quite honestly. Mm. So that like having that level of responsibility at that young age and recognizing what works and what doesn't work, um, that has really helped me accelerate my development as a professional and just as a human being. So just the humility that goes along with any type of sales related job where you're putting yourself out there hoping to get something and it doesn't always come back. Um, it's just a, it's an experience that a lot of people probably don't have, but you know, like you said, you learn far more than you think you do with with something like that. Um, how would you compare the Ivy league experience to the big 10 experience? Um, it's, um, it's different. It's, I mean, they're, they're challenging in, in different ways. Um, I think that it's just, you know, the big 10 experience is, I don't want to make it seem like it's all glamor because it's certainly not like wrestling is not a glamor sport, but you know, you go and wrestle Minnesota and they've got a couple thousand fans. You go and wrestle Iowa. They've got thousands of fans. Um, you know, you're taking planes places and you know, you got, you're, you got all your swag and, um, you know, your, your athletic departments are like really focused on athletics because, you know, they're really competitive in football and basketball. Um, and the Ivy league is just, just, that's just not the mentality from like a, from an athletic perspective. It's like, Hey, we offer a lot of these sports and sports are important to like the fabric of our institution. But at the end of the day, like we are, we're about academics and like, you know, there's nothing glamorous about like driving a van to wrestle Ryder to wrestle Princeton or like driving <laughs> a van out the Bucknell, like, or taking kids to the Franklin and Marshall open. Like, it's just, it's just not as, it's a little more, I think it's a little bit more of like a gritty college wrestling experience, quite honestly, because you don't get like as accustomed to like, you know, flying and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so it's, it's, it's still challenging. It's just, um, it's just a little different mentality, but there's still really talented kids who opt for that route um, and kind of circumvent the grind that is the big 10 mm-hmm. uh, and can kind of surprise folks at the end of the year because, you know, they've, 
there's their their schedule and experience has been a little bit different um and the visibility is a little different so it's that it does sound like a lot of like you said kind of gritty road trips across the east coast traversing the winter months yeah you know yeah and it's like that's stuff that i did when i was a kid and like that wasn't that was hard and it was just kind of like a back to reality of like oh like no you don't you don't fly everywhere like you don't get to go on these glamour you know trips to russell stanford and cal poly and spend december in san luis obispo like (laughs) no like sometimes you gotta like you know ship out to millersville and like wrestle those guys like you know it's just it's just different it's cool to see um princeton doing their thing right now i mean they've been putting together a, a vicious schedule um and so of course there's you know wrestling's great in the ivy league and it's it seems no, to I only be getting better i i would agree i think like if you think about like the type of makeup of a person who who wrestles um it's usually like somebody from blue collar background lower socioeconomic background um she's pretty focused and driven and has a good mentality like there are a ton of qualified kids who hit the ivy league criteria um, and the way that the Ivy League is structured with regards to need-based financial aid versus athletic scholarship, um, from a recruiting perspective, like if you can identify those kids early on and um, kind of find them, you can get a lot of really quality talent like mm. that. Um, you know, other, other schools like can't compete on from a scholarship perspective um, if, if you do your work. Mm. And it's just a matter of like, finding and doing the work and like getting the transcripts and getting on the phones. And um, there's a ton of great candidates and Ivy league programs can be really good. It's just, um, you just got to find the kids. That's what yeah. it comes down to. Well, it's like, look at you. I mean, you were one of the top, the top recruit in the country at your weight class. And, you know, I would think, you know, going to Wyoming Sim that all of the upper echelon educational schools like a Stanford, like a Northwestern would already be all over you. But I mean, it, I think there's just, there's so many kids to recruit, you know, I mean, you've been, been through it. Yeah, no, it's, um, if you're, if you're a kid, you have to be an advocate for yourself and you have to like, it would be nice if everybody called you, but there's, like you said, there's a lot of kids in the world and there's only so many, there's three or four coaches that, you know, they have a 50 other things that they're trying to figure out. Um, just help them out a little bit, you know, show that you're interested. And, um, there's nothing like, you shouldn't be like ashamed or like you like a like a hit to your confidence or like quality of your recruiting profile if you have to like reach out to somebody um like if you're like are waiting if you've gotten like seven calls and you're like waiting for that one call because you really want to go to whatever like just freaking just reach out to those people and that's something that you know as a kid it's hard to wrap your head around that um, but if like the kids and the parents and the coaches can all be aligned and like recognize that's the reality of the situation, like it can just make things a lot easier for everybody. I am a firm believer that the ability to cold prospect someone <laughs> mostly by email, but also by phone. But if you can put together a solid, solid email, you can get in touch with some incredible people in the world. Um, it's just amazing the amount of people that you can get responses from if you do it right. Um, yeah, no, I would agree. I think, um, it's just, I think it's just very personal when you put yourself out there and you don't hear back and people are just, you know, scared of rejection. And like, that's totally normal. It's like an innate human trait, but 
once you get a little callous to it and feel it a little bit, you realize it's not the end of the world and that like life moves on and you wake up and next day. And um, yeah, it's just hard for people to kind of get over that hump. For sure. Now I know we're winding down here. Share with the listeners what you do now for a day job. Yeah. So, um, so I uh, work for a private equity firm and I'm a technology investor. So basically I'm spending my days looking at software businesses, um, you know, tech enabled businesses and trying to understand if they're compelling opportunities and whether or not we want to make investments in these opportunities. Um, and it's, it's pretty awesome. It's, it's funny. Like I think about the key factors for success working in private equity or working in investing, whether it's venture capital or growth equity, private equity. I think about like the key factors that you need to have to like be successful in those industries and like what you need to be successful as like a college wrestling coach. And it's, it's actually pretty similar when you think about it. Um, like the way these, firms work is like, you know, okay, I've raised, I'm a firm, I've raised, let's call I've raised a billion dollars, got a billion dollars to spend, and I need to find the best companies possible to invest in. If you're a college wrestling program, like you have, I have nine scholarships, like, I got to maximize these nine scholarships with the best possible talent that's out there. Okay, like I got to go find those people. If you're a private equity firm, you found you found a great company. It's an awesome company. It's growing 100% year over year. It's got like really good margins, whatever. Um, a lot of customers. Um, but 30 other private equity firms have also found it, right? And like the company only is going to choose one of you. They're only going to take the capital from one firm. If you're a really hot wrestling recruit and you've you've won the Ironman, you're ranked top five in the country, whatever, you're a heavyweight, those are really rare. Um, chances are like you've got 30 scholarship offers, right? And like you can only choose one of them. And scholarships are money, investments are money. So then it really boils down to, okay, I'm gonna get, if I'm a business, I'm gonna get an investment regardless. If I'm an athlete, like I'm gonna get a scholarship regardless. Like I'm gonna get the money what else am I going to get that is going to be differentiated beyond like the pure dollars that I've earned through my business or through my athletic success. So that's where it really comes down to like, if you're a firm, like how can you differentiate yourself from other firms in the process to win that business? And if you're a program, like what do you offer that's different beyond just like saying, we'll give you a full ride. Right. Mm. And that's where it boils down to like, have you spent the time building a relationship with that, you know, prospect over X amount of years? You know, do you know, do you know, like their coach? Do you know, like, you know, the fabric of the community that they've come up in? Like, do you really understand that person? Like, do they feel like they connect with you? And do they feel like you're the person who's going to help them on the trajectory to where they want to get to in life? Um, you know, what beyond the scholarship, you know, are you going to provide them with tools to be athletically, academically successful? Like, do you have advisors, do you have counselors, all that kind of stuff from a professional development perspective? Like, 
How do you guys think about that? Do you care about that? You know, what does your network look like? Are people post wrestling doing great things in life that you want to do? Can you talk to those people? Like, are they going to help you kind of along that path? All that kind of stuff. Wow. And same thing if you're a business, like, okay, like if I take an investment from you guys, like maybe I want to IPO in five years and I want to still be on the same growth trajectory that I'm on today. Like, are you guys going to help me better operationalize my business? Are you going to help me develop new products? Are you going to help me meet other CEOs in your, in your portfolio so I can become a better leader and, you know, organically help my business grow more. So it's all that kind of stuff of what have I, what else can I offer beyond just the dollars and the investment? And I think like that, um, that parallel is pretty interesting. And it's probably, I'm probably the only person in the world who has that perspective. <laughs> um, but I think it's very similar. And that's why I get really excited about being in the industry I'm in because um, I know at the end of the day, like those skills that I developed at a young age as a coach um, eventually are going to really come back and help me as an investor, like better, di better differentiate myself in competitive processes with great businesses and, you know, give myself an opportunity to win that for whatever firm I work for. Um, so we have great investments in our portfolio. Wow. That to your point, I just, I've never heard of it. I thought you were going to answer one way and you went a whole other way and it was awesome. And I never thought about it the way you just said it, but think about the college coaches who have had some business experience beforehand. How much of an advantage would that be? I mean, like, like a Sean Barnett who ran a business for 10 years or 12 years. Um, I just think about those coaches who, I mean, because it's so fundraising based, um, it would be a tremendous advantage. Just like I'm sure it's a big advantage for the fact that you were a collegiate coach before you became uh, you know, a private equity investor. Yeah, no, I, I think totally because, you know, there are programs and like your love for the sport really matters. And like I said earlier, your ability to teach technique in the room, like really matters, but fundamentally like your ability to recruit great talent, whether that's, you know, fellow coaches or athletes, um, get people to buy into your vision of what you're trying to build and you think about that from like a fundraising perspective, the other parallel between private equity and college coaching is on the fundraising piece. Like mm. if you're a firm, you want, you know, endowments, pensions or whatever to invest dollars with you. And they have a lot of places they can invest dollars with, but like, why is your firm different? Like, why is your vision different? Like, are you going to be the big thing? Like, are you going to have great returns? Like, why should I pick you? Same thing from like a fundraising perspective. Like if you're a college coach, you know, okay, like what is your vision for the program? Like is, is the trajectory looking promising? Like can we look at historical like trends and see like, oh, you guys are on the up and up. And if I give you $250,000, you know, you're going to use it wisely to kind of feed that growth and continue to build a great program. Um, so yeah, I think the people who have had that experience and have the sort of business acumen that you can develop kind of outside of the sport and then are able to kind of come back in and incorporate that into the day-to-day -day that they experience as college coaches are certainly, you know, better positioned and advantaged um, when it comes to, uh, you know, being competitive from a recruiting and fundraising perspective. I can imagine. I mean, I have so many follow-up questions based on that, but I, I know we have to run. Um, just my last thing I was going to say is, 
I don't think a lot of people, including myself, have any idea how much fundraising college coaches do. Even if you have the 9.9 scholarships, there's a, it's not like it's just guaranteed. Just, I mean, the scholarships, sometimes they're, yeah. you know, you're fundraising them, but it's an ongoing thing. So it's not like, yeah, the scholarships are important, right? But it's like, what's your budget? And your budget determines what your year looks like. And if you're a kid, you want to sign up for a great experience. Like you want, you've worked, you've wrestled in gyms in Bumblefuck, Pennsylvania, like every crevice of wherever, like it sucked. It was really hard. And like you got into college, like you made it. Okay. I'm here now. I, I want my college experience to, I want to be rewarded for all the hard work I did. Like I know how to wrestle. I know how to go to tournaments. Like I'm still going to do that, but you know, can I do it in a better way and differentiated way? And mm -hmm. it's more fun to be at a program where, you know, you're going to San Luis Obispo in December and like, yeah, you're going to wrestle Cal Poly while you're out there, but you're going to spend two other days, you know, just soaking in the California coast and having an experience and opportunity that you wouldn't otherwise get if you didn't do this sport. Um, and the programs that fundraise well and can facilitate like that type of those types of things are the ones that are just going to continue to get better talent because when the recruiting pitch, it's like, Hey, like, yeah, we, you know, every year, like we, you know, right around December, we know, like, you know, we know the wrestling season's long, like, you know, we know you guys have worked hard in preseason and like got a couple of matches under our belt, like, you know, right before, right before December and Christmas break and stuff and Midland's coming up, you know, we'll go out to the West coast for a couple of days and like, you know, we'll let you guys enjoy like the water and, you know, all that kind of stuff that's a much more compelling message as a young kid, like who, um, who is yearning for a better opportunity, which is why they're trying and wrestling in the first place. It's just a much better message than, yeah, like, you know, yeah, we, it's like nice that we, we get to wrestle like, you know, Ryder and whatever, and it's all really close. And it's like nice because we can just bus everywhere and like, you know, <laughs> just knock these, we got all these programs around us. It's great. And you're like, okay, yeah, but like, I've already done that, you know, like, so for the programs you have who are able to like develop these great budgets budgets and have these differentiated experiences and opportunities that they can pitch to kids. Um, I think that's incredibly important and like a really key differentiator from a recruiting perspective. For sure. I mean, it's, it's a no brainer, Mike. I really yeah, enjoyed totally this. <laughs> I, I would, I know. And it's like <laughs> the amount of coaches where I think they could use a little more business acumen or a little bit more just, Penaz. I mean, I don't know how to describe it, but there's, and I'm not going to mention them, but there's some out there and you're like, you got to have a little more energy, you know? Um, you look at yeah. what Cornell's done, Ohio State's done. He's two of the best leaders in the game. Mike, I have to run, unfortunately. Thank you very much for your time, sir. I enjoyed the conversation. And now that you're back in Chicago, we got to meet up and <laughs> grab a couple yeah, of beers totally. at some point. 100%. Uh, thanks for having me on. It was really great catching up and uh, hope you have a great weekend. Thanks, Mike. Take care, man. And all great things must come to an end. If you want to hear more from the podcast, text WRESTLE to 555-888. That's WRESTLE to 555-888. You can also find us on Instagram, Wrestling Changed My Life, Twitter, Ryan underscore N underscore Warner, as well as our website, WrestlingChangedMyLife.com. Take care, y'all.